Um, great, I don't know if anyone, I looked on BBC um, News yesterday and there was another story of the Weinstein affair and someone else getting uh, abused or sexually harassed or gender-based violence or whatever you want to call it. And it seems every day there's something new on, on abuse up there. So um, just to say, in a, in a month's time, we're going to be talking about abuse. It always seems to be women that blow the, the whistle on abuse. Um, and well, you may think, well, what, what do you know about it? Not very much. But Linda Huskinson's going to be here. She um, knows more than I do about abuse, and she'll be between us. We're going to try and have a go at it as a topic. Um, and what would Jesus say into that? So that's a quick plug. Um, just, I, I know we've heard lots, um, just in terms of this talk now, what, what, some people have never heard of Hope Into Action, some people work for Hope Into Action, so there's quite a spread of people here. And um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to quickly try and give an overview of Hope Into Action for those that, that don't fully know, or a reminder for those that think they know about it but not quite sure. Um, and then Ian's going to come and do a reading, and then I'll come and uh, talk on, on the passage as it were. So we'll, we'll break it up that way, so that, that's how we'll do it. Um, so I know what it's like, we've all sat there, people have come from a charity to your church, and you kind of, you know, the, the deal is this, isn't it? For a charity comes and they say, okay, here's these, these people in, in suffering, and what you need to do is you need to give us the money, because we're really good at dealing with their suffering. So give us the money, and off we go. And that's kind of how the relationship goes. And um, we, we're slightly different from that, because we don't, we don't put it that way. We kind of say, look, there are these people in suffering, and we together can do something about it. Um, so many of you, you know... I, no, that, that, that it, when in the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples said, made a really logical kind of argument. Why don't we just send the crowds away to the towns and villages and they can look after them? And in many ways, I would argue, or some people might argue, that for the last few decades, churches have kind of contracted out a lot of their response, you know, to the, to the charities and the, the council's work that we would argue, actually, God would say, this is the church's job. So Jesus answered those disciples and said, no, you do something about it. And in many ways, that's, that's what we're here to say. Say, you know, churches, you can do something about the homeless situation in your, in your country and, uh, or in your city or in your community. So before, I, before we started Open to Action, I was working in a hostel not one mile from here, 89 residents in that hostel. And I came to worship here in this church, 200 people in the church. And broadly speaking, no one from the hostel came to this church or any church that I knew of. And no one from this church really went anywhere near the hostel. And if the hostel represented the poor and those suffering, uh, I couldn't square that kind of equation. I, I just couldn't get, get, get comfortable with it. And kept finding myself thinking, well, how, how can we do that? And that really is our mission, is to bring the two populations together. When we do that, we, we feel we've succeeded. We've succeeded on two fronts. One, because Jesus said, you know, when you do something unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. When you welcome the stranger, you have actually welcomed me. And so our belief is that when we get out of our pews and we, we, we engage with those who are suffering, then actually we will meet Jesus himself. And in so doing, we will grow. Uh, I heard of someone just in Nottingham last week who was apparently a grumpy old git, retired, engaged uh, in hope into action, met one of our tenants, and apparently it's totally transformed his life according to his son. Uh, it doesn't happen every time. But we will meet Jesus. We will grow in Jesus when we engage with those um, on the edge of society. And if we believe that Jesus dwells within us, they will also meet Jesus when they meet with us. So at the point of meeting, there's actually a spiritual transaction, an emotional transaction that's going on, and we believe Jesus is right in the heart of that. So that really is our, is our mission. Um, and how do we do it? Well, we start off with one house. And we, the, house the first house we ever opened was here. 
Uh, I can remember presenting to the, the leadership team, I can remember presenting to the Camplings home group, saying, do you want to do this? And we opened the first house here, and that house has grown, now we've got houses uh, in 15 cities across the country, and um, we've got some for refugees, some for those coming out of prison, some for those who are sleeping on the streets, some, one for former sex workers, one for people who are in recovery from addiction. Uh, we've got, uh, we've had, we're just about to open one with hope for justice for those in modern slavery. We've taken other people through slavery, uh, or sex slavery have come through our homes. So th it's grown in the last seven and a half years uh, to meet all these kind of, all these people. That's just a picture of that. We now have 49 church partners. Actually, we've got 50, but we just haven't opened a house with one of them yet. Um, this last week, we opened a house down in Portsmouth. Uh, we uh, completed a house in Bicester, and we agreed terms on a house in Stamford. So it's beginning to kind of grow and gather momentum. I had conversations with people in Portsmouth, London, um, Torbay, Lancaster, Coventry alone this week. So th this movement that is hoping to action is, is kind of spreading and gathering more and more momentum. Um, and every, every single house that we partner with, um, we always use the same model. So if that is the poor wanderer, that's the guy who's on the edge of society, that's a homeless guy, uh, using investment capital, we buy a home. Every home is in partnership with the church, and the church provide a friendship and support group or a group of people uh, who we would train up, and that in partnership with one of our empowerment workers, we'd work together um, in trying to, to work with them. So we have three empowerment workers here. They are Paddy, Jenny, and Carol, and they're all doing great jobs. They're here. They can chat with you afterwards if you want to, uh, and we'll talk more about what, what the church does in a sec. But that model uh, is what we've stuck to throughout. We haven't really ever changed that model. We've learned loads along the way, uh, but it doesn't really change. Um, along the way, we've also picked up numerous awards. I just thought I'd put them there. Uh, the one on the left is from the NHS, an award for working with people in recovery from addictions. CSJ is a right-wing sort of think tank. They gave us an award a few years ago. And then last year, The Guardian is a kind of left-wing, quite secular paper. They gave us an award, and the award they gave us was um, for the best housing charity in, or best housing project in the entire country, which is amazing when you think about it. If you're sitting there going, I don't believe that, well, neither do I, to be honest with you, but there we are. Um, that's what they think, and they're experts, so we'll take it. Um, and uh, the thing that I wanted to say, really, just to wrap this up, is in all that Hope and Action does, it does it so closely with Breton Baptist, and always has. Breton Baptist birthed Hope into Action, and as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking it, it was, it's not the midwife, it's the mother. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. But I just sat down, one lunch break, I, had a, I took myself out and I just wrote down all the people that had helped or worked with or invested or prayed for or worked for Hope Into Action uh, over the years. And here we go. I'll probably miss some people out if I do, forgive me. But I'm going to give it, there's a code to have ordered them, see if you crack it. The Atkinsons, the Allens, the Allisons, the Angie, the Bowerings, the Batemans, the Bairds, the Calcrofts, the Camplings, the Chans, the Davids, um, the Dianes, the Diana and Debbie and Dickie, the Ed, the Edna, the Elaine, uh, the Fry and Fiona and Phils. I'm dyslexic, be careful what you say. Graham and Gavin, the Hallams and Honest, Ian and Ian, Jane and Jessops and Jacks, Kieran and Keynes, Luke, Lodges, uh, Lannings, uh, the lovely Liz, uh, two of those, uh, the Lees and the Lees, uh, the Logins, L Logans, Login, Login, Log out, Login, uh, the Lomases, the Myers, the McHughes, the Mortons, the Moyes, the McDermott's, the Nashes, the Nortons, uh, and the most amazing, incredible uh, supporter of all is Rachel. 
Uh, that is Rachel, my wife, not Rachel, Dan's wife. Uh, the Stanbrooks, plural, Steve, the Spears, the Sykeses, the Squelches, the Timpsons and Taylors. Uh, U is for unicorn because with God all things are possible. Uh, v is uh, for village because it takes a village to raise a child and it also takes a village to cure someone from homelessness. Uh, the Watkins, the Wheatleys, the Whitlocks, the Walkers. X is for extremely grateful. Yvonne and the youth and Zoe. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh no, he's missed his, P, his Q for P, that's because I didn't go earlier and the P is in fact running down my leg. So, uh, but, sorry, free toilet humour on a Sunday morning, what can you say? But I could have mentioned the Pringles, the Pods, the Popes and the lovely Pippa. So there we are. And so I hope you realise that by me saying all that, it's amazing the support that this church has given to Open to Action. And so when we look at all of these here and these achievements that we've done, I, I really just hope you take real kind of pride and ownership over it because it's not sort of me presenting what we have done it's us celebrating what we collectively have done does that make sense so just but as Ian comes up to read why don't we just give us ourselves a massive clap for what God has done to us Everybody in it? Right, this is from Mark chapter 5. Jesus restores a demon possessed man. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any, anymore, not even with a chain. <coughs> For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Thank you, Ian. That's great. Um, 
Good. Well, look, just just on that. I mean, it's a great passage. I, there's loads in it. We won't be able to co- I won't be able to cover it all. But um, if you ever want to know a bit more about um, uh, homelessness and what demons might accompany it, um, Ian would actually be very happy to talk about that sometime. And he does talk about it very well and understand uh, some of the demons that people face on the street. But uh, um, homelessness is interesting, isn't it? It's it's on the rise. Uh, I don't read papers ever, and yet this week I've read two articles. Uh, on homelessness that I've cut out and shown. One from the Metro, one from the Week. Uh, they're all, it's getting into the national press now. Uh, 200% is the increase in homelessness in this city in the last two years. Nationally, the rough sleepers have increased by 250% over the last seven years. And most weeks, I'm in a different city speaking to people about it, and it's the same story wherever I go. And that's, uh, when a rough sleeper is actually only the, the tip of the iceberg. Uh, if someone is sleeping rough, it's a highly traumatic situation for them. Um, they will probably be in trauma and shock just from the fact they found themselves homeless. How could I have ever gotten into this state? But behind them are uh, tens of thousands of people living in unsuitable accommodation or um, maybe with an abusive partner and they can't get out or um, in temporary accommodation or there are 10,000 people in this country who have been trafficked or in modern slavery, uh, blah, 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 blah. In some cities, one in 40 people have an addiction. Uh, so it's, it's a very high, it's a, it's a really big issue in our country right now. It's a big issue in our city, and I'm sure it's just anecdotally as we're walking around, we notice it more. And uh, what, would, what, what would Jesus do? Well, the first thing is, I'm sure, Jesus cares about it terribly. He really does care about it very deeply. And how does he respond? Nine times out of ten, he always responds through us, through human beings. And this passage is a great passage, but it actually starts in Mark chapter 4, and this is what Jesus would say to I'm sure many people, when the call of Christ looks like this, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 4, let us go to the other side. Let us go to the other side. And that is so often how Jesus speaks to people. Uh, The other side of society, the other side of the world, the other side of the thought pattern, the other side of even a theology if you wanted. Don't get stuck on this side of where you are. Don't get comfortable. After he says, let us go to the other side, there's a full stop. And then it says, leaving the crowds behind. We're to follow Jesus. He will regularly call us away from our crowds. What are our crowds? Those things in which we are comfortable, those places that we're comfortable in. Um, and he will call us away from that. And sometimes he will ask us to deny ourselves. It may be we have to call ourselves away from the comfort of church, the comfort of approval, the comfort of our approval, our parents, our siblings, our relatives, uh, even our fields. Though, you know, Are we prepared to lose money in order to follow Jesus Christ? And that is the call he will be putting on many, many people the whole time. He's done it for, for thousands of years, and he always does do it. And it's often, not always, but often towards those who are suffering. And it's very often away from those, away from your comfort zone. Um, so you think, great, I'm following Jesus. Hallelujah, I'm following Jesus. The disciples did everything right. You know, there's this phrase in there, there is no peace outside God's will. Hallelujah. They step into the boat, massive storm hits. They brick themselves. They're absolutely terrified. It's a really difficult situation. So following Jesus is scary. And there is loads and loads of biblical precedent that when you follow Jesus, you get in the boat, people are scared. It's a scary thing. You think, okay, finally, I've got to the other side. That was a bit traumatic, but I'm there now. No worries. Get to the other side. First thing they do is they meet a very violent, scary man. And if you see how the story unfolds, it's messy. It's difficult. It's traumatic again. 2,000 pigs die. And Jesus calls us into the mess. He doesn't call us from one nice safe crowd and then into another nice safe crowd. 
Following Jesus is difficult, it's scary, and it's messy. And he wants us to go into the mess of society. He wants us to be that light into darkness. Um, and it's the same, actually, you know, if you look at Matthew 4, uh, again, he calls the disciples, and then they go straight into a huge amount of mess. And it's difficult. It didn't end well in the Gerasenes. They asked him to leave. 2,000 pigs died. That's not good. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? So if we've got this expectation that following Jesus makes stuff light and fluffy and peaceful, uh, you know, that, uh, I challenge that. And I say, I can give you loads of biblical precedents where that doesn't happen. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the, full co- the call of Christ is out of the comfort zone and into the mess of life. Then you meet this guy. And uh, let's just have a look at what, let's do a risk assessment or a needs <coughs> assessment in our society. We love doing those things. So we'll do a risk assessment on him. Um, he was homeless. He had an evil spirit. Um, we've all met people who have that kind of spirit about them that's just a bit dodgy. He'd, we might call him a prolific offender. He'd been into jail loads of times, come in and out, come in and out. And he'd been chained, but he'd escaped, and they chained him again. And they couldn't, he was obviously strong because the whole community couldn't sort him out. He was a self-harmer. He'd cut himself. Um, and loads of other things besides. When we meet homeless people, what do we see? What do we see? Scroungers, benefits, addicted, I work really hard, why can't they? Smelly. When we do that, when we do those things, uh, we judge them. And the truth is, probably, if we're really honest, most of us have thought one of those things, or all of those things, at one time or other in our hearts at some stage. (coughs) Certainly I have. Um, and what we've done is we've judged them. Um, and what Jesus says is three words, do not judge. Do not judge. Now I looked into that and I've done the exegesis and what he basically means by that is this. Do not judge. It's really simple, isn't it? Do not judge. But the truth is, I found myself judging people the whole time. I'm always judging people. And a lot of you think, oh, God, I can't believe a preacher would say that. <coughs> Some of you get it, some of you don't. Those that get it, thank you. Those that don't, you've already judged me. So that's the first thing, is to say, when we're working with a homeless, try hard not to judge. If you want to have a really interesting conversation with someone that's homeless, get chatting to them and then ask them this question, what's it like to be judged? What's it like to be judged? They will give you no end of insights on that field. Um, Often they just pick up the little looks, the little looks is the little kind of eyebrow that's raised that reveals something that's coming out of our heart. Um, Jesus, I think, looked through that. And I think he's, I don't think Jesus judged either. Uh, I think he looked through the man. Because if you read again about this man, it tells us something else. He cried out night and day. He cried out night and day. What was he, what was he saying? What was, what, where was that cry coming from? Why was he crying out? What was going on in him? Who is he crying to? Maybe we cry out night and day. Maybe we cover it up in some form of self-harming in some way. Maybe we push ourselves really hard at work. But Jesus saw straight through this man and he saw that he was crying out night and day. One homeless guy said, you know, at night we cry out to God because we've got no one else to cry out to. Don't have a wife, don't have a job, don't have a, a CV to fall back on, don't have a bed. We've got nothing else there. They are stripped of all the things that we rely on and therefore the only thing, there's nothing between them and God. So, a secular organisation, 86% of homeless believe in a God of some form or other. 
86%, that's a pretty high percentage. Uh, they're crying out to God. The self-harm is actually, now self-harm can be drink, drugs, crime, whatever, uh, violence, but it is a way of crying out to God. And if we have the eyes of Jesus, we see straight through and we see who they really are. And we have compassion on them. And our compassion drives away and evaporates our judgmentalism, our judgmental attitudes. As I said earlier, when we, uh, when we go out and we meet them and we sit with people, then we find that judgmentalism, which we all experience, evaporates. Uh, and what happens then is we've met Jesus. Because uh, Jesus uh, evaporates that judgmentalism and replaces it with love. God is love. God is compassion. We become uh, more, our humanity grows, our love grows. We become more like Christ when we sit down and we listen. So that's the first thing. First point was go to the other side, leave behind the crowds. Second point, do not judge. Um, and the third point is this. Um, when we look at someone who's homeless, what do we see? And if we want to, we move to help them, we've got compassion and so on and so forth. Uh, I would say we need to take off the lens of their poor, what can I give them, and put on a lens that says they're oppressed, how can I release them from what oppresses them? Does that make sense? So it's, and there's nothing wrong in saying, here's, they're hungry, let me give them food, they're, they're cold, let me give them a blanket. That's all good, and we endure, you know, absolutely fine. But we need another lens which says, what is oppressing them? What got them there in the first place? Because Jesus, when he started his ministry, and he kind of gave his job description in Luke 4, he didn't say, I've come to give things to poor people. And neither did he do it in this passage. He said, the spirit of the anointed Lord is upon me, uh, to proclaim the good news, to release the oppressed, to set the captives free, uh, the recovery of sight of the blind, and to proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favour. It is 56 words, but it wraps up a fantastic holistic outreach. I don't know if you can read it. Can you read it? Um, so this is how Jesus defined his ministry. And if we look on people as well, this is how we must define our ministry. It has to be holistic. There are loads of organisations out there that will have a kind of view of releasing people from oppression, but don't talk about Jesus anywhere. True story, I was speaking to someone today, uh, this last week, in London. He's a really great guy, he works for a Christian organisation, he's doing some great stuff, he's trying to get housing up in London. So he sent me the business plan, and then he sent me the spreadsheets, and we were, had a half an hour on the phone. And he, he kind of explained his model, and I said, that's great, look, I really, I can, anything I do to help the model, that's fine. I'm not here to tell you how to do it. But if you want to follow these words, where you release people from the oppressed, and you proclaim the good news, your model won't do it. And he goes, yeah, you're right, I never thought of that. He goes, Ed, the thing is, I've searched through all of London, I couldn't find one Christian housing charity in all of London. I said, that's my point. And that is why we started Hope Into Action, because they don't just, not just London, across the country, there's only one, and it's called Hope Into Action. And that, I would have, we'd have happily moved city to find it and work for it. It wasn't there, that's why we started it. People that understand this, these 56 words, where we need to release people from oppression, set their captives free, and proclaim the good news. That is holistic. Um, because people have spiritual needs as well, as well as physical needs. And the physical needs might be, you know. So this is what Rowan Williams, Rowan, that picture earlier, I didn't mention it, but he was here, he spoke here at one of our conferences, he gave an absolutely brilliant talk. This is his view on Hope Into Action. Can you read it? What I really admire about Hope Into Action is that it has holistic depth to it. 
Hope Interaction allows people in our churches to recognise they can actually do something. But it's that phrase really, holistic depth. Um, if someone is homeless on the streets, an evangelist will go to him and say, you need Jesus. Someone from the drink agency will go to him and say, you need to get dry. Someone from a drug agency will say, you need to get clean. Someone from the debt agency will need, you'll need to be free from debts. Someone from the housing charity will say, you need housing. And someone from the, I don't know, mental health charity will say something else. Okay? Individually, all, you're not releasing any impression. You are, but what we need is a view that sees all those things and collectively we need to address all of them because all of those things oppress. Uh, and once we address all those things, then the person can flourish. Does that make sense? So that's, that is our approach and that's what we, we try and do. Um, set the oppressed free. How did Jesus... Once he'd met this guy, he'd done the risk. By the way, the other thing Jesus said, if you ever meet a homeless guy, you can say exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, what is your name? Pretty simple, isn't it? It's a good question to ask. When you're doing that, you're actually speaking scripture into his life straight away. You don't realise it. What's your name? Hi, I'm Ed. What's your name? Really simple. Um, but, um, so, yeah, he meets the guy. He's kind of sussed him out. He's got all these issues, all these demons. How am I, what am I going to do? This is a big problem here. I've got 12 guys with me. Uh, it's interesting, he used 12 guys to feed 5,000 people once, and he used 12 guys just to cure, help one person. Okay, this is hard work now. See, transformation of this is difficult. Um, how do I do that? Well, what is around me? What have I got out of my stock? What is it here? He used pigs. That's what was around him. And I, I don't know how much you guys know about the price of pigs these days, but let me tell you, a Welsh boar, pig, will cost you 250 quid on the market. I've looked it up. 250 quid times 2,000 equals half a million pounds. Now these pigs were, I don't think they were kind of wild pigs. I'm assuming they were owned and bred for, I've got a pig farm here, for, for kind of, um, you know, for, they were assets. That, you know, you get, you know, breed them and all that sort of stuff. 2,000 pigs was my annual turnover. Right, there you go, you were rich. Okay. Well, I would say 2,000 pigs um, is worth half a million pounds. So half a million pounds. Jesus wrote off half a million pounds in order to save and help the life of one guy. This guy was rejected by society. He was really high need. He was really difficult. He, no one knew how to handle him. And Jesus went straight to him in the community and said, Do you know what? I think you're worth so much. I see through all the self-harming and I see who you are and I think you're worth so much that I will write off half a million pounds worth of valuable community assets in order to transform your life. Wow. Now just put ourselves kind of in the shoes. Whoever we are, if someone I didn't know came up to me and goes, can I buy you a coffee? £2.50 now. I'd be a bit awkward. I'm like, you know, I don't know, I'd sort it out. Someone buys me a lunch, I'm like, man, this is weird. Someone were to buy me a house that I couldn't ever dream of affording, that is amazing. No, no, one, no one would ever do that. This is love and extravagance on a kind of extreme end that we can't really kind of compute. And that's how Jesus feels about every single one of us and every single person we see <coughs> on the streets. That's how valuable they are. And if that's how Jesus feels, then the challenge and the question for us is what pigs have we got that we can use? If there are 100 people in this church and they have 
£5,000 of savings, that comes to half a million pounds worth of assets. That will buy you easily three houses, that's six lives, far cheaper than Jesus did it. Did it. Do you see what I mean? So, and you can do that actually without paying stamp duty now. So th- there is so many assets around us here uh, in, this, in, this, in this church. This church is the only church I've ever heard of that has financed three houses for the homeless itself from its own pocket. It's amazing, isn't it? But the truth is that we could, we could, we could I know we could, we could do so many more if we wanted to. I'm not sure we could support any, many more, but if you wanted to support other churches, there is so much investment capital just lying around. And if we have a heart like Jesus, we, we could, frankly, 100 people, you know, if 100 people gave out two grand, each, we, none of our lifestyles would be impacted, and you'd probably get best part of two houses. None of our lives, and it's investment, you're not even giving it away, you're investing it into a house. Um, and this is, this is how Christians would respond. This, this is, I, I think this is what we can do. I think it's a blind spot in Christian narrative on how we use our wealth. Um, and again, remember Jesus, he was born in a borrowed stable, he was then a refugee, then he had nowhere to rest his head, and he died in a borrowed t- tomb. He understands homelessness. He wants us to get it too. He wants us to do something about it. Um, so that's the fourth point. Use what's right. How many pigs are there here? 2,000 David used to have. Um, so once he's cured him, it's quite interesting. People tell Jesus to go away, and Jesus is a real gentleman, so he does go away. If anyone has in their life told Jesus, go away, I'm not interested in God, any of that stuff, you know, he, is a, he will go away. But actually, he still stays with you. Because even though he left, he kept that man to stay there. And that man was telling people about Jesus. So that's the thing he does. He places people in community. And he recognises, he does it all through the Gospels, that people need community. I'm going to tell you one story now. Uh, a guy in Peterborough, um, who Jenny and I worked with, and everyone who met really loved. Uh, except when he went out drinking. And he would often get into violent situations, and he would occasionally end up in jail. And but we could kind of see through that, and everyone really loved him. And he was clearly going down the pan a bit. So Jenny, myself, and the local vicar, we had a chat with him one time. And the local vicar said to he'd been with us about nine months. Said to him this: He said, um, "Mate, you've never really told us about your father." And the guy then opened up, and over the course of the next five ten minutes, he said uh, he started telling us his story. And, and to cut it short, as far as he is aware. He was conceived in rape, and he's never known who his father was. And so if you understand his relational poverty, his relational poverty goes right back to his conception. Does that make sense? So we say if someone is homeless, they've got nowhere to go. But that's a function of having no one to go to. Um, the underlying cause of their homelessness is a, is a relational poverty. And a lack of father figures uh, is so often the underlying cause of homelessness or abuse or trauma, whatever it may be. And in this church, there are loads of fantastic father figures and mother figures, both of which are needed. But they are such value, we are such a valuable resource for our society. If you speak to Carol or Jenny or Patty, every day we get people coming through our door or on email and they are lacking father figures so often. Um, so if anyone fancies being a father figure to someone, that's what we're about. We pl- Jesus placed people in community. We try and place people in community as well. That's the fifth point. One more you would please to hear. And the final one is this. How does Jesus, uh, 
help this guy transform. He doesn't give him charity, he doesn't give him a blanket, he gives him responsibility. This guy wanted to go back with Jesus, said, can I come with you? Jesus doesn't always answer your prayers, he says no. And then he says to him, um, he says to him, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. He gave him the responsibility of the gospel. And so often we think we need to give things to people because they can't handle it. Actually, giving responsibility to people is a fantastic way to help people out of the situation they're in. When we give things to people, it's absolutely right lots of the time, but it can be patronising, condescending, and can belie a hidden sense, actually, I'm, I'm superior to you. Whereas we're saying, no, we're equal, we have equal worth, and we want to give you responsibility and lift you out where you are through responsibility. So, that's what some of the things I think Jesus would say and do. Um, what I would end on, I would end on two things. If anyone wants to get involved in Hope Into Action in any way, uh, you can give to us, you can kind of invest with us, uh, you can work for us, we've got a job advert up at the back. Um, but the thing we really need most of all, we've got three houses, we'd love people to volunteer and look to befriend these guys in our homes uh, and look to befriend them and we would train you up, we'd guide you through that. There is a night on the 12th of February. Uh, we'd love you to come along to if you're interested. You'll find out more. Um, and speak to Jenny, Paddy, myself, or Carol at the, at the end, and we'll give you more information on that. But I'd end on just this one thing, just for all of us, just to reflect a little bit on who this man Jesus was and what our view of God is. Because sometimes, however long you've been a Christian, you can still think that maybe God judges you. Maybe God judges me. Uh, actually, I don't think he is. I don't think he does, and I don't think he is. Uh, Actually, I think he sees through all of our mistakes and he says to us, I am not disappointed in you. I am not disappointed in you. I'm not judging you. I love you. I care for you. I would kill 2,000 pigs, half a million pounds, in order to help you. And then I would add my own life into the bargain as well. Um, so whatever trauma and whatever he, uh, hurt or upset or addiction or pain you're suffering today, Jesus can, he is the son of God, he can transform it. He can transform that pain straight away. Um, you may think he's the son of God, you may not think he's the son of God. Mark thought he was the son of God, and this is really interesting. He said to the, the homeless man, you go and tell people about what God has done for you. And the man went away and said about what Jesus has done. That man realized that Jesus was the son of God, and he saw that the son of God loved him so much he was worth half a million pounds and said, I'm not disappointed with you. I'm not judging you. You're doing really well. You are my son, you're my child. And that, in my opinion, is good news. Thanks for listening.